Content warning. Castration, Nazism and the Holocaust, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Action! Excitement! Horror! Mad! Thrills and chills! Swords and sorcery! Rockets and ray guns! A dizzying panoply of the strange and impossible from the darkest depths of the human imagination! What mad universe encompasses such tales as these? Join us as we bear witness to the sweeping sprawl of all the history that never was and all the futures that could yet be. It's adventure as you like it on What What Mad Universe. Avoid the obvious, let's call them Force X, have stage managed the whole thing. So you've got MVD, CIA, and FBI, and who are all falling over each other sniffing around Dallas and New Orleans for clues, and Force X gets to seem more and more implausible to all of them, because it is intrinsically incredible. It is incredible because it has no skeleton, no shape, no flesh, nothing they can grab hold of. The reason is, of course, that Force X is the Illuminati working through five liters with five times four times three times two times one or 120 different basic vectors. A conspiracy with 120 vectors doesn't look like a conspiracy. It looks like chaos. The human mind can't grasp it and hence declares it non-existent. The Eye of the Pyramid, the Illuminatus Trilogy by Robert Anton Wilson and Robert Shea. Hi, welcome to What Mad Universe, the podcast where we take a look at pulp and the popular to the obscure. I'm Philip, and with uh, with me as always is Adam. Hello. How are we? How, we're good. <laughs> okay. Uh, today we're going to look over the Illuminatus trilogy by Robert Shea and Robert Anton Wilson. Is it Anton or Anton? Anton, yeah. For, I've okay. always heard it Robert Anton Wilson. Or okay. Raw, as he calls himself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, first published in 1975, though written earlier. Um This is a weird series of books, and there's a lot to talk about. Uh, I've often described the trilogy as simultaneously brilliant and garbage. Not that parts are brilliant and parts are garbage, but that all of it is both at once. It's a raucous voyage through the 60s and early 70s counterculture, and conspiracy theories, magic, uh, literary references from Joyce to Lovecraft, all mashed together in a giant soup. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a series where talking dolphins help a yellow submarine fight Illuminati spider ships in the ruins of Atlantis, but also where a guy fucks a giant golden apple. <laughs> There's drugs and murder and sex. Lots, lots of sex. Detailed descriptions of sex acts written in a way that sometimes made my stomach churn. Uh, it's massively self-indulgent, but in my opinion, it works wonderfully. So, uh, what are your experiences with this book? Because both of us have read it before. Ah, I mean, my experience was that it was recommended, and I tried to read it. You know, actually, no, actually, I do have a mild story, which is that I, there was a comic, a webcomics guy named uh, Patrick Farley, I believe his name was, um, who did some interesting webcomics, and he was uh, a big fan of Robert Anton Wilson. In fact, I believe he did the web design on 
Wilson's website. Uh, so I started reading his blogs before this was just before he passed on, uh, Robert Anton Wilson. Um, and, um, so I got exposed to it through that. And then I finally decided to break down and read the trilogy. So that's what happened. Um, um yeah, I, I'd been uh, hearing about it because I've always had an interest in conspiracy theories, not as a believer, but it just like mm -hmm. the psychology behind them. Right. Like uh, when I was a, a teenager, I had a conspiracy theory that I made up uh, that sea urchins okay. were psychic and controlling the world. Um, I could link everything to the sea urchin collective, basically, <laughs> and like randomly just come up with things on the fly. And people thought I was serious and I just found it amusing. And later I learned that... Um, the reptilian thing is basically exactly that, but with reptilians. So right, right, and we've we have discussed that on uh, on the in the call show briefly. Um, oh yeah, okay. Uh, so yeah, like, well, no, it's going to be relevant. Uh, when I grew up, I was uh, in the nineties. Uh, you know, we'll talk about a bit. Uh, I think it, we'll talk about a bit this later. Um, but just the X Files. I was a huge fan of the X Files, of course. Which oh, okay. Is kind of yeah, I've never actually seen a full episode. So yeah. Yeah, that was a little after your time, or before your time, right? So no, it was it was on TV. It was it was in reruns at least while I was growing <clears> up. So right, and it's actually interesting. Again, we'll talk about this in a bit, but <clears throat> it is interesting the degree to which this. I'm not sure this was the X Files was as much influenced by this, except it was because this is kind of the great granddaddy of all the conspiracy fiction. But um, it it it's it's in quite a different direction essentially. Um, yeah, but, this doesn't. This has sort of some alien stuff, but not much. Right. Yeah, that's the and, and there's other there's there's sort of a different filter for it, I think. Um, but we'll talk about that in a moment. But let's just to mention uh, the book itself. Um, it came about because uh, Wilson and Shea, and interestingly, I've been able to find very little about Robert Shea, the other author. Uh, Wilson is usually the guy who gets all the credit for this book. Um, but they were working as the uh, editors for the letter section of Playboy magazine, and um, as is my understanding, and basically in the 60s. And they got lots and lots of uh, crackpot uh, letters from people with conspiracy theories. Uh, so they basically yeah. An another podcast I listened to was reviewing this book, and they hated it. But so, but whatever. But uh, they they joked that um, you know when when I have like a theory of how the world works, I send it to the you know pornography group that I listen <laughs> that I read. I send it to Brazzers or. It, but it was Playboy was actually taken somewhat seriously at the time. Like it was it was cons that was actually one of the things that brought kind of sex into the mainstream. As a literary, of course, it was you know there were still some really stuffy people, but uh, the, the Playboy was seen as like you know it was a hip uh, intellectual publication basically. So I it know was, it just it I found that funny. It, it is well, it, yeah. In retrospect, it does seem weird, but at the time, it wouldn't have been that far out from somebody sending letters to Time or Life magazine. Uh, you know, it was a major, yeah. major publication in the sixties. Um, so, but, but also, I mean, the people who are sending in conspiracy theories, <laughs> they're not considering yeah. this very carefully, right? They're, they're, uh, they're, they've got a bit of their own, uh, their own ideas going on. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so Wilson decided he was going to write a novel and Shay, they decided they were going to write a novel in which all of the various theories they read in these, uh, letters were true and unified into a gigantic grand conspiracy. 
and even the ones that contradict the other ones that's right yes <laughs> and the great thing about conspiracy theories is you can do that obviously um when we talk about this now when we're, we're going to talk about the mythos that gets built up in this uh book uh we're going to sort of present it as it's initially presented uh part of the point of the book is that as you peel back the layers things get you know <laughs> that th th then you learn that oh what you thought was true is actually a lie and there's another level to it uh, and then there's another level and another level and Right. What we're given at the end is like we assume that's what it is because that's how it ends. But it, if it went on a little longer, it would probably change again. <laughs> Maybe yes. So, where to begin? Uh, the Illuminatus is, uh, of as you've probably heard, uh, the, the uh, group that secretly controls the entire world uh, as a group of super puppet masters. Um, led by uh, the Illuminati Previ. Um, this book ties them into uh, the ancient rule, or not the ancient rulers, but an ancient faction from Atlantis. Um, and Atlantis is uh, real. Started by Gruad. Gruad, yeah. The Gruad was, Grayface, um, who was a, a mutant Atlantean. All the other Atlanteans were hairy. Right. Uh, like com completely covered in hair, but this was a mutant who had uh, just a close-cropped hair, head of hair and a beard, so... Yeah, he looked like a modern human, in, a, in other yeah. words, as opposed to the other Atlanteans who were... And this is ancient uh, Atlantis, so the Atlantis that we know is actually modern Atlantis, uh, that's a remnant of ancient Atlantis. So this is like uh, 50,000 years, yeah. Yeah, so the, the ancient Atlantis was scientifically advanced, like the futuristic, um, with, uh, but they were also... Um, uh, they didn't have... Uh, a system of morality the same way we do like it's like prior right. to original sin sort that's the idea i guess right they and, didn't have uh, government they didn't have um they didn't have morality they didn't they were basically total anarchists which is the theme of the book um and they had higher technology than anything we'd ever ha even now that we have on on earth yeah um, um and uh they the the gruad who was a mutation and uh, they talk in the book about neophobes and neophiles as, uh, you know, the, uh, there are people who are afraid of the new and people who create the new um, and uh, the neophiles. And Groad is actually described as being the first neophile, even though he's the one who was the big enemy who destroyed Atlantis. Um, because he developed a system of morality, a religion, and he started saying, no, people need to do things this way and not the other way. And um, he was opposed by you know, a freedom party who interestingly, you know, you would associate them with, uh, you know, the, 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 the heroes who are anarchists. Uh, but there are other things that are confusing about it. <laughs> and there was also a nothing airing, a nothing Aryan party, right? Mm -hmm. Um, the led by, do you want to, you want to say it? Lilith Velcor? Yeah. Who was, um, that the whole thing, has a lot of clear, delib clearly deliberate echoes of Adam and Eve and the garden yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So. Yeah. So Lilith is obviously, Lilith Falcor is obviously based on Lilith, who's a, um, uh, not a, actually a biblical character, but sort of introduced to explain some, you know, um, uh, contradictions in the two Genesis uh, stories of creation because it sort of contradicts itself. So. Right. And uh, she's uh, she's crucified on an upside down cross that uh, resembles the peace symbol. So that's where the peace symbol came from in this universe. Right. 
and she was the and she's then able to possess uh, actually a male Atlantean named, but he's named Evo, and then he later castrates himself, and there's a whole thing going on where he's the biblical Eve apparently, uh, but it. it in a way that doesn't make a lot of sense. I think he was there's also the, uh, um, somewhat of an implication that he might have been faking it, like he, you know, he committed a crime, so he he pretended that he was possessed by Lilith Falcor. I see. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean. I mean, it's sort of ambiguous. I think. But yeah, he's, I got he, that impression. He he's um yeah I I got uh, my take on that is that he was uh, that Wilson and Shay were trying to sort of take the misogyny out of that storyline basically mm -hmm. by making it a a guy instead and it was overreaction to female sexuality basically because you know Gruad is very you know evil and and the way it plays out basically they flee to Agarti uh, which is another common sort of conspiracy slash. Uh, you know, old, uh, the like Theosophists believed in Agarti, which is a... Yeah, yeah. It, it, I think it's connected to uh, to some sort of thing in, in like, Buddhist belief, but it's it's been warped by, uh, right. by Westerners. Yeah, the West... In terms of what it means. Right, the West... Like, yeah, like Theosophists, like 19th century, you know, mystics kind of, start, uh, you know, appropriated it as... Th th from the late 19th to the early 20th centuries, there was a lot of appropriation of Asian ideas and symbols, up to and including yeah. the swastika, actually, um, and turning it to well, mean up whatever. to modern day, really. But well, yeah, of course. But I mean, it was really bad during that period, I would say. Yeah. Um, and and they, you know, they turned it into their own kind of mythos, and Agarti is part of that. Um, it's also associated with the Hollow Earth theory, which of course makes an appearance in this book. Uh, although here it's specifically uh, there an underground network of oceans. Um, which is yeah. There's well, uh, there's the Sea of Volusia, which is beneath Europe, right? Um, and Volusia is of course the uh, kingdom from the Cull stories, right? Yes. So there's so oh, and we'll get to that. There's a lot of working in between um, um, real life uh, conspiracy theories and uh, complete fiction, and sort of blending them all together into one thing. As I say, they're trying to basically blend in everyone's uh, conspiracy theories, and the conspiracy theories were probably. Um, coming from people, things people had read both in the news and in, you know, uh, you know, urban legends and also in pulp. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, when we did our call show, our second show, uh, you know, uh, Robert E. Howard wrote about a race of snake people who had infiltrated, uh, the government of, uh, Volusia in the call stories. And, um, they were secretly, you know, managing affairs and Cull had to stand up to them. And uh, that seems to have highly inspired the modern day conspiracy theory about reptile people, uh, as you mentioned. And they sort of make an appearance in this. They're the Ophidians, which is a genetically engineered group uh, created by right. Gruad as enforcers. Right. But they're not a mm -hmm. big part of the story. And that's probably because the reptilian thing didn't really take off till David Icke in the 90s as right. a mainstream conspiracy theory. Yeah. Well, this is one of those things where you can see them trying to knit absolutely everything together. So they mention the Ophidians, <laughs> but they're not, as you say, a huge part of the story. In though, if this had been written a, a decade or two later, it, they might have made the Snake People a much bigger part of the story. Yeah. Um, yeah. Alien that, stuff yeah. isn't really treated with much. I mean, they hint at right. it sometimes, but it's not really a yeah. thing in this book. Yeah, which is funny because that was a big thing, uh, especially in the fifties. There is a flying saucer eventually in this story, uh, but he he actually dismisses Hagbard Celine, who is a major character. Uh, Isn't it Celine? Uh, it's sorry, Hagbard Celine. Oh, okay. 
Chilling? Chilling, like a ch. Chilling. Oh, I did not know that. Okay. Well, that, um, I, I, I initially read this via audiobook uh, years ago, oh, okay. and uh, that's how they pronounced it. So, oh, okay. Oh, it's, I, I think it's an Italian. It's supposed to be an Italian name. It so. is, yeah. Yeah, Chilene. Okay, interesting. Um, so, uh, Hagbard Chilene is uh, sort of the protagonist of this story. Sort of. <laughs> like he's not the I, you main know what? character, say- but he's he's the driving force of the yeah. action. Right, he's kind of the Jack Sparrow in that he's not the nominal protagonist. I would say the nominal protagonist is George Dorn. Um, yeah. And it is interesting because they set it up as uh, Saul Goodman, who's going to be the main character when it starts. Yeah, he's and a yes, New York detective. Right, Yeah, and yes, his name is Saul Goodman, uh, to the point where I actually wonder if uh, the Better Call Saul actually took that from this book. Oh, <laughs> I didn't even think of that, jeez. <laughs> because it's, well, in both cases it was because it's a pun on Saul Goodman, you know, that's oh, okay. that's the joke. Um, but, um, <clears throat> and they they explicitly reference it in the show. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, most of the characters in this book have names that are silly or references to things. So yeah. I think that's that's the uh, the origin of that one there. But you know he's set up as this detective. The the book literally starts describing the plot is not incredibly relevant to this book, uh, and but, it would uh, be very hard to do. So we'll just pick out bits and pieces. Of yeah, but it does. Plot, but. Yeah, it does start with a bombing in New York of a uh, of a magazine called Confrontation, which is you know trying to peel back the truth and a detective. But it's a left wing ma- magazine specifically. Right. It's 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 uncovering maybe getting too close to the truth. And uh, Saul Goodman uh, comes in to explore, uh, who's a, a New York cop. He comes in to uh, investigate. And um, almost immediately, we kind of leave him and we only cut back to him briefly throughout the story. Uh, yeah, mostly... we get a lot of excerpts from the from the stuff he's reading on the case. Right, from yeah. The, uh, from the, you know, like, sorry, um, uh, explanations of the Illuminati that contradict each other and that sort of thing. Right, yeah, he's 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 reading the notes that the editor Joe Malik uh, left behind, who was the editor of the, mm-hmm. the magazine. Um, and Joe Malik ends up. We learn later that uh, he's been he 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 had actually gotten inducted into everything. Uh, but the main character is really George Dorn, I would say. Uh, yeah, in in the sense that he's the guy who kind of is the audience surrogate, and we explore mm-hmm. everything through him. Um, whereas Hegbert Celine is kind of, uh, he's sort of a left wing, um, reporter for confrontation and, uh, he gets caught up in, uh, in this when he's, he goes down to uh, mad dog, Texas to investigate local Illuminati activity. And he ends up in prison because he's a long haired hippie freak. Um, right. And, um, uh, Hagbard and, uh, um, Mavis who's another character, uh, break him out of the prison. So. That's how he gets uh, uh, caught up in all this, right? And he gets he, he takes some Hagbard Celine, who or Celine, excuse me. <laughs> um, he takes him on board his um, his giant golden submarine. So yes, it is a yellow submarine. And they uh, mention that, and uh, and they they um, they go to the so they start by going to the ruins of Atlantis. And uh, one of the things I kind of liked as a uh, literary device was just that. Um, this was actually a metaphor for going underwater and exploring the hollow earth and uh, the ruins of Atlantis and all that became a metaphor for, you know, investigating and exploring all these different conspiracies. They're they're literally going to the underworld and exploring the secret, you know, meaning of everything by going to Atlantis and going to Agarty and all these different places. Um, oh, uh, they, they have a there's a there's talking dolphins or porpoises. They switch between the two names. Right. Even though they're different species, but anyway, um, 
they they can't actually talk, but apparently in this universe, uh, dolphins are intelligent, right. and uh, Hagbard's uh, um, uh, submarine has uh, translators, so he can understand what they're saying right. through he's, the ship. Yeah, he has a Hagbard has a supercomputer called F Up. Um, <laughs> we have to bleep the name F U C K U P. Um, but it stands for First Universal Cybernetic Kinetic Ultra Micro Programmer. Right, which of course he just chose because he liked the name, um, yeah. and and it can do all kinds of amazing things, including basically predicting the general shape of the future and communicating with the dolphins. And the dolphins, and are, as it turns out, is the narrator of the book. Right. Um, well, sort of. He's um, the narrator of the book is literally a free flowing consciousness that keeps. It's it's sort of glossed over, but yeah, he, uh, there's a line where he says, "I now realize who I am." the mm. omniscient narrator because he, right. he has a sort of crisis of identity at the beginning of the narration in the book right yeah and then he, he discovers sort of who he, he is at the end right and that's an interesting thing about the book because it goes between describing the characters in the third person and describing them in the first person so sometimes he'll be you know talking about what Saul Goodman's doing and then suddenly he'll be uh narrating as though he was Saul Goodman and then he'll switch yeah. over to being George Dorn or whoever yeah and there's other parts where it, um, uh, at one point it's uh, Hagbard used to be a lawyer for uh, uh, Native American rights. Mm -hmm. And uh, it shows a just deposition with like judge and then Hagbard and then, yeah. Right. So it's got all sorts of literary um, different uh, ways of writing. And it's right. all sort it's, of, it's it very... switches somewhat at random, seemingly. Right. Yeah, it's, it's done as... Um... As if it was kind of a uh, a Jackdaw novel, like it's it's made up of. It, it, I guess trying to emulate the whole thing that Saul Goodman uh, receives from the the confrontation bombing, uh, where he's he's going through all these different files and different transcripts and things. So it's it's capturing a bit of that feeling, and he also links it specifically to the idea of um, all humans are one shared consciousness, and we, mm. we've only forgotten not just humans, yeah. Well, yeah, every I guess everything in the world. At one I point, guess he's a squirrel, the narrator. So right, yeah. that's right, and the dolphins, of course. Yeah, um, and as we say, the uh, cybernetic uh, organism. So, and that, of course, is tied into the idea of Leviathan, which is the name of the third uh, book, and uh, the idea of a multi multi headed singular consciousness. But he, but he's, uh, you know, it's it's a the whole book is anarchist in spirit. So it's uh, it's trying to remind us that you know we're all one consciousness basically mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, um but just getting back to um uh the whole mythos um so the illuminati are literally the descendants of gruads people who uh, destroyed atlantis with a solar flare uh continued to sort of mow down the atlantean culture for thousands of years uh and kept uh, civilization from from popping up again because it thought it wasn't ready yet it was right. too uh was too influenced by old atlantis so it actually kept civilization down for like 20,000 years and then right finally let it build up again under their influence yeah and he literally describes it as yeah they had guns and they had you know basically modern technology but they were forcing Cro-Magnons to come down out of the hills and learn farming and so on mm -hmm. and waiting until it was actually set up the way they wanted it to and then they kind of retreated back to Agarty and they've manipulating they've been manipulating everything ever since um oh under... it should be noted Agarty here it's usually described as a mountain here it is a mountain, but it's under the it's a mount um, under the ocean that's below the that's below Europe. So it's right. 
Yeah, it's it's uh, Agardi, I believe, is usually linked to Hollow Earth theory and the idea yeah, of yeah, underground it's, cavern. Yeah, yeah, it's um, but its uh, entrance is usually a mountain, but in this case, it is as well. Right, but it's yeah, an it, underwater mountain. Right, it's in the Himalayas, and as as a few people pointed out, it's it's often sort of mixed up with Shambhala, which is the mythical... and Shangri La, which is a fictional version. Right, right. The the thing that's supposed to exist in the Himalayas, the great yeah. city of wisdom and all that stuff. So they all kind of get lumped together. I'm not 100% sure Agardi is originally from Eastern tradition. I think that might uh, be a... Yeah, yeah, I might be wrong. Uh, I, I don't know much about uh, that subject specifically, but I just know about it through, you know, conspiracy literature. So, and they... My, my from what what I was doing when I researched it, it actually sounds like it is a European invention because it's a uh, 19th century writers who started talking about it. Um, it yeah. might have been a corruption. They called a Gartha as well. It might have been a corruption of a of a, an Eastern idea, but it was very. I think it was very heavily filtered through Western ideas. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so it probably wasn't even quote a Garty or a Gartha. It was probably something else, and they they mangled it. Um, mm -hmm. But anyway, so uh, and then. We've got all these different groups over the years, including the uh, the assassins or Hashashim of the uh, uh, you know 11th century, who are a, an Islamic group, and this is all real. By the way, as we talk about all this, we're kind of we're kind of mixing uh, you know actual history in with the history as it's described in the book. Uh, so don't treat any of this as actual history when we talk about it. Just just yeah. so we're not confusing about this. But a lot of it is based on real history. Um, uh, and some of it's based on, yeah, like like I said, it's uh, conspiracy theories that actually existed at the time about history. So it's it's all mixed right. up together. Yeah, it's it's. It, so I almost feel like this is what popularized and kind of unified a lot of conspiracy theories that otherwise might have been very underground up till that point. Um, like I think that um, a lot of like uh, Hollow Earth theory being a big thing. Well, except that the Nazis believed in Hollow Earth theory yeah, as well. Yeah, Hollow Earth goes back a while. Yeah. Um, it was big in the 19th century, as we discussed in the um, in the um, uh, yeah. Great uh, Coming Race episode. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's that's a bad example. I, I do feel like some of these might not have been widely popularized until this book um, came out. Definitely the number 23 thing uh, was popularized by this. Right, right. The idea that everything's connected through number 20, you know, like everything can be... Well, the number five, but 23 is a common iteration of it because 2 plus 3 equals 5. Yeah, yeah. But right. uh, 23 specifically, I think, not comes from this book, but was popularized by it. Right. And it, Which is funny because the book actually says the real yeah. rule of the number 23 thing is that if you work hard enough, you can make anything fit. Right, right. Which is, of course... Uh, the the you know the metaphor for the entire book how it's yeah you know, and conspiracy theories in general uh, that you know it's you can connect everything if you work hard enough and come up with <laughs> elaborate enough explanations um, yeah just quickly so yeah but just quickly the various groups so they they mentioned the uh, the Hashashim or Assassin group uh, who of course gave us are the current the modern name assassins uh, and they and were the word hashish. Well, you know what? It sounds like that is actually probably a misunderstanding. Um, oh, okay. That the names are similar, and people assumed that uh, they were inspired by hash, but you know, in fact, that's a different uh, thing. It's just the the words are similar because they were given hash. That was the thing. Um, when people were inducted into this group, this order uh, of elite killers, uh, they were drugged with hash, among other things. Uh, they passed out, and then they woke up in 
their underground sanctum, which was a beautiful garden. There was a feast. Beautiful women were serving you food. Of course, that is uh, basically how it's described in the Quran, the afterworld. But they they really gave it a a firm uh, depiction um, of that 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 became popularized. And they said, well, this is the afterlife, and you're getting a vision of the afterlife if you uh, do your holy duty and and uh, go on this mission that we're sending you on, basically. So they then they pass out again. They'd be woken up and they'd be you know dreaming of uh, this holy this the this place that they'd be going to in the afterlife. Uh, and that and was the leader so that, of this group was called uh, Hassan Isaba. Is that how you pronounce it? Yes, that's right, Hassan Isaba. He was the he was the the leader. And like I say, it was a military order. It was part of the quote Ismailite sect of uh, Islam in the medieval era. Um. And that was, and I mean, they weren't, of course, the first. There were lots of other groups, uh, like the Eleusians in Greece, and even the Gnostic Christians, who don't mm-hmm. play as huge a role in this book as I would have expected them to. No, um, um, but, there, there's the Knights Templar. Right, the Knights Templar, who, who are, may be the actual historical descendants of uh, <laughs> of these kind of uh, Gnostic groups. Uh, but these are all groups that had initiation rites, right? Yeah, and of course the Bavarian Illuminati. Right. Well, the Bavarian Illuminati are where it really gets going uh, because they're the modern. They're they're real. Uh, they existed. They were formed in 1776 by Adam Weishaupt um, uh, in Bavaria. Obviously, um, uh, he was, uh, according to this novel, a defrocked Jesuit. Though it seems that that's not actually the case. He was a non-clerical teacher at a Jesuit school. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, who became frustrated by the way his ideas were being marginalized by the religious staff. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he um, rejected joining the Freemasons due to expense and seems to have founded the Illuminati so that he could have his own club. So it's like, right. you know, uh, you won't let me join your club, so I'll make <laughs> my own club with blackjack. <laughs> he did later join them as an Illuminatus, but uh, um, to, gar- to garner ideas and recruits, mm-hmm. um, and uh, according to this novel, uh, he took over the Masons and continues to use them as a front for the Illuminati uh, right. to this day. And something similar happened in the Rosicrucians. And um, yeah, in, in actual history, the uh, Illuminati was disbanded by uh, 1785 by royal edict. Um, and uh, they were driven underground where they, well, I mean, according to uh, conspiracy theories that are very popular, they were driven underground and became the secret puppet masters responsible for everything, um, including the French Revolution and so forth. Uh, and according to this book, uh, and this was apparently conspiracy theory at the time, like they didn't make this up, but it's obviously crap, but uh, uh, Weishaupt murdered George Washington and took his place and became the president after that, because supposedly they looked alike, so... I, I Even then, I don't know if that's possible. That's, I think, a theory that existed but was popularized by this book uh, mm-hmm. more than anything. I don't know if that was a very common conspiracy theory. It was out as you say, as we say, these were all pre-existing conspiracy theories. But I think that's uh one of the big ones that this this book popularized because I don't mm-hmm. see any trace of that before that. But certainly Yeah, but it does seem to be still believed in some circles. I've seen oh, YouTube yeah. videos that claim, you know, well, it, people can't get away from the fact that there's a giant eye in a pyramid on the American dollar bill. Um, yeah, which wasn't actually an Illuminati symbol. That was, we just take it as that because it's a weird thing to put on there. Right. Well, that's yeah. That's just it. The 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 uh, 
creation of it's it's probably a masonic symbol um yeah the thing about the freemasons is that they're uh they're a pretty secretive group uh and and this is true of the original illuminati the historical illuminati as well um and all these other groups um you know once the enlightenment hit you had a, a group of people going well you know we're we're powerful and important people and we need to uh, form a group that will, you know, sustain human society because we're so important and we're so smart. Uh, and let's also do it. And also get way. drunk and play ping pong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that is exactly it. What they were making fun of with that Simpsons episode. Yeah, yeah um, exactly. And and I mean, even it goes down to like things like Elks, Elks Club and Kiwanis Club, which are not and Rotarians, which are you know not at all mystical, as far as I know. And uh, uh, the Shriners. The Shriners. They have a bit of mysticism, I think, and a bit of. Sort of, and and then it goes all the way up to things like uh, Yale Skull and Bones Club, which is famously oh, yeah. is a, a secret club for uh, again, and and I mean part of it is just it's a group of very rich, powerful, wealthy, <laughs> important people, and they're all you know they're they're brought into a club. They're made to feel like oh you're special because you've gone through the initiation rites and you've passed through the 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 special uh, the special levels of uh, initiation. But it's basically uh, just frat hazing. Right, yeah. I mean, in many cases, they're very old organizations, and they have a lot of tradition, and they also dressed up in mysticism. And that's one of the interesting things, because they all tend to be post-Enlightenment groups, and they often talk about how you know, enlightened they are and how they're fighting for rationality in society, but then they have all this like secret mysticism going on. Um, but that's, of course, what makes them the focus of conspiracy because they're they have so much secretive uh ritual and stuff like that um in this book uh a common refrain from the um from the the illuminati whenever they've accomplished something destroyed one of their enemies is uh jacques de molay you are avenged um because he was one of the knights templar he was a, a apparently the head of the Knights Templar, and supposedly he wanted to bring in more rationalism and take them away from superstition, and he was killed by, uh, by, uh, by the king. And um, so the... But yeah, the, the square and compass was, was his idea, apparently. Right, yes, the square and compass... The Freemasons adopted. Right. So he was, he's seen as sort of one of the early martyrs to reason and against superstition and the monarchy and all those kinds of ideas. Um, and that's what supposedly uh, Weishaupt uh, was trying to do with the Illuminati was uh, introduce the you know the principles of reason and and have more of a uh, a humanist uh, aspect of of life. And then that's why they get blamed for things like the French Revolution because it overthrew the king and 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 was supposedly based on the principles of pure reason. Uh, got rid of you know the change the calendar did all this stuff to to make it uh, more rational right mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so that's the kind of thing that makes people see them as puppet masters but it is interesting that you know they were anti-monarchical and yet they're seen as you know the really oppressive super leaders of everything right yeah so the they're opposed in the novel by the Erisians or the Discordians who is uh, another group you want to uh, you want to talk um, about them uh, yeah sure um, discordianism was um, uh, sort of founded in the 60s 63 um, was when they they principal they published the Principia Discordia yeah it was written by uh, Malaclips the younger mm -hmm. uh, who was later found out to be an author named Henry, uh, Gregory Hill mm -hmm. who died in 2000 um, uh, 
he was one of two writers, along with uh, Carrie Wendell Thornley, mm-hmm. a.k.a. Lord Omar uh, Kayham Ravenhurst. Omar Kayam Ravenhurst, yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, apparently they came, or Malaclips the Younger is named after Malaclips the Elder, um, mm-hmm. uh, who in the, uh, the Principia uh, Discordia describes him as a non-profit, and he was mistaken for a doomsayer <laughs> when he... Uh, when he was seen carrying a sign that read "dumb," <laughs> yeah. Uh, but in uh, the Illuminatus trilogy, that um, Malaclips the Elder is a character in the book. Uh, he's a shape-shifting immortal um, who's from the fourth uh, century BC. He was an Arisian priest um, who uh, achieved transcendental illumination uh, due to the massacre at Melos in uh, 1415 BC. Right, yeah, the, the, the idea that we're presented with at one point is that uh, mass, there you can be translated into an energy matrix, i.e. an immortal being, uh, if there's, uh, they say there's a number of ways, but the one they keep focusing on is uh, mass slaughter of humanity, uh, which is why the Illuminati, th- that's what the Illuminati wants to accomplish. They want to uh, perform mass human sacrifice so that they'll all transcend our plane and go to a new reality, essentially. And um, according to this book, the Holocaust was an example of, was an attempt at that. Right. Yeah, and in the book, they're they're building towards, yeah, we literally want to end the world, kill everyone, but the Illuminatus will ascend into energy lattices and go on. So that's mm-hmm. kind of the ticking clock that they're fighting in the book. Yeah. But uh, Malaclips the, end, the Elder in uh, the Illuminatus trilogy was also posed as Jesus after Jesus was crucified. Mm-hmm. So in this book, the resurrected Jesus was uh, just this imposter. And uh, it says that uh, and in this form, he introduced Bingo, uh, but asked Luke not to record it. Right. And it was to show that everything is a game, basically. That yeah. Was part of the, that was part of the, uh, the, the message they were trying to pass on. Um, but uh, the Arisians uh, are a group who, uh, again, it, it's, it, as, as is more or less outlined in the book, and the book is very heavily Arisian, there's actually a lot of discussion over whether uh, Robert Anton Wilson might have been involved in the uh, writing of the Principia Discordia in the first place. Yeah, he uh, was uh, He was often given as the, uh, before they found out who it actually was, he was given as the uh, true identity as Malaclips the Younger, mm-hmm. but so was Richard Nixon, so, you know. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of, well, I mean, it's not hard to see why people would associate uh, him with the Principia Discordia, because he basically, this is almost a supplemental text to the Principia Discordia. Yeah, Principia Discordia, and it's very important in modern Discordianism, which is still around. Right, yeah, well, he was the a Discordian. trilogy, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, he was full-on, Wilson was a Discordian, and uh, they, they, the, the Principia Discordia is very, you know, it's, it's, it's very much an outgrowth of the Beatnik-type writing of the 50s. Uh, it's very stream of consciousness. It's a series of, uh, actually kind of witty jokes and puns and things in, in many ways, uh, that's meant meant to sort of uh, strike a blow against everything rational and moral and everything, you know, that we rely on. But it's, it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's, it's a manifesto slash religion, religious document. Uh, but whereas the Illuminatus trilogy is almost an attempt to explain it to a certain extent. Um, they kind of talk about, the theories and the principles that are underlying it in the book, uh, you know, Hagbard Chalin basically, <laughs> basically lays everything out as, as George Dorn gets illuminated. Uh, he, he, he explains the, the principles that went into it. Um, it's, it's to further, to expand your reality tunnel 
It's the idea that everyone experiences reality through a tunnel that filters out all the stuff they don't like or they don't want to accept. And he's trying, it's trying to sort of blow your mind in that 60s hippie way. Yeah, so there's a uh, there's a, an important aspect of it, which we're going to have to bleep this, but it's Operation Mind. Right. Or OM, which we'll refer to it as. Um, <laughs> and it's um, sort of, it's a, a thing that's... Uh, uh, intentionally trying to challenge people's perceptions so um uh it's sort of like um i don't know uh intellectual terrorism in a way i guess like uh, uh trying to like attack people's uh uh a sense of um understanding of reality right um so like they'll um let's see there's a few things here uh uh our project Graffito, uh, um, anybody can participate by invite by inventing a particularly Arisian slogan and seeing that it's given wide distribution mm -hmm. examples. Your local police are armed and dangerous. Legalize free enterprise murder. Why should governments have all the fun? Uh, yeah. Smash the government postal monopoly. Um, if voting could change the system, it would be against the law, etc. Yeah. Uh, there's also... Um, uh, sending people pope cards um, so that right. uh, claiming every man, woman, and child on earth is a pope of discord. Right. There's a. have seen one that's literally a poster that says, "If you can read this, you are a pope." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's 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 essentially yeah, just trying to to make everything. It it it's sort of a. Uh, in many ways, it's a predecessor of internet culture. I think um, and posting basically. Again, I'll have to believe that. But um, yeah, just completely random memes and, and images that that are supposed to uh, to mess everything up. Um, yeah, and it, this is sort of taken the like. Did you read about the uh, the meme magic from uh, from online Nazis during the 2016 election? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, supposedly um, they were um, uh, using memes, usually Pepe the Frog memes, but uh, actually imbuing them with magical energy and sending them out to disrupt how uh, people think yeah well it's yeah like and the, the grant morrison idea of the hyper sigil so it's right it's like right. uh it's a sigil a magical sigil but it has to be seen by enough people in order so it's yeah right. whatever yeah well we could we should discuss that's i think something we'll discuss a little later uh yeah uh, so uh but yes you're right that's the, there's definitely you can see a lot of things that are tied into uh to modern uh, internet culture and, and just information culture in general uh it was uh it was uh, pursued in the book by um people giving out uh well first of all there's the elf which is the special radical group of the discordians the, the Arisian Lib liberation front right uh and they go around uh dosing people with a drug that contains acid and a, a number of other things called aum uh which uh it's supposed to turn neophobes into neophiles and make people start exploring new ideas and become you know, radically uh, receptive. And a number of points in the book, you learn, you know, some figure of authority or someone uh, significant has been changed by AUM and is starting to, uh, starting to pr uh, pursue all these crazy things like a judge who becomes very interesting mathematics in the middle of a trial and basically lets all the defendants go uh, because he finds government is not legitimate. Um, there's a crazy crackpot Alex Jones type uh, radio host, or rather a phone, I, I didn't quite get this, he leaves messages on a phone line <laughs> for people to call in uh, that get crazier and crazier 
because of that, but they're based on radical liberation of sexual freedoms. Um, and a few other people, and there's a, there's a police officer who kind of goes down that road and becomes a qu uh, quintuple agent for all the different groups. <laughs> oh yeah, that, that character was fun. Uh, there's uh, some narration from him. He's joined uh, the Illuminati, the Discordians, um, the, uh, he's working for the Mafia, the FBI, the CIA, you know, all these... Yeah, the Syndicate. Uh, yeah, the we syndicate. Should we should mention the syndicate, by the way. There is a major, a world crime syndicate, which uh, they have to deal with in the first book. Uh, the, basically, they get they get them to switch from the Illuminati to the Arisians. Uh, and then they're the heads of Oh, it and are... it's led by a guy named Robert Putney Drake, who's sort of a major character in this. Um, right. uh, or at least we get a lot of his backstory and stuff. Uh, he's a right. mob boss, but he's obsessed with the occult because he just wants to hurt the world, basically. Right. Right. Well, he interpreted what it was was he he'd read the uh, the last words of Dutch Schultz, who was uh, and this is another real thing. Um, he was a you know a, you've, as you've probably heard of him, he's he was a he was a a, a gangster in the thirties. Uh, after he was shot, he went on a very like he spent all night you know saying very strange things to police, and it was because he was shot and he was rambling in non-lucid ways, but uh, very, very strange, almost beat poetry. Uh, and so the book has has it that this was a secret code because he'd been inducted into the Illuminati. And by cracking it, Drake was basically able to uh, get himself in charge of uh, all the various crime syndicates that were connected to the Illuminati <laughs> and mm -hmm. become the, the head of the world crime syndicate with a guy called uh, Don Federico Maldonado, a.k.a. Banana Nose. Um, Who doesn't actually have a very large nose, apparently. <laughs> yeah, it was again but, a bit uh, of a Dutch Schultz, like you said, was a real person, and all, and this actually happened. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's actually been very popular with beat poets like William S. Burroughs, who actually wrote a novel in the form of a screenplay called "The Last Words of Dutch Schultz." Right. Yeah. So it is. It is crazy that that, and that was in the '30s when he was killed, or or even '20s. I'm not sure. Um, so it's interesting that that ended up inspiring, influencing beat poetry, which then mm -hmm. in turn influenced this book, which they're acknowledging by making it a big, a big part of the book, which is kind of interesting. But anyway, as you were you were talking about uh, the Illuminati being run by uh, a oh rock yeah, band. they they um uh, four of the uh, five Illuminati because the rule of fives they the Illuminati also go by magical rules. Um, four of them are, uh, brothers and sisters who, uh, formed a rock band called the American Medical Association, the biggest rock band in the world. And, uh, they had a, a festival in Ingolstadt, mm -hmm. a rock festival that was, that would be bigger than Woodstock. And, um, a lot of the latter half, latter half of the trilogy takes place, uh, at that. Right, and it. it's going to resurrect uh, a Nazi army that was uh, secretly hidden by Hitler at the bottom yeah. of uh, uh, at lake. the bottom of uh, the lake, uh, Totenkopf. Yeah, was it Totenkopf? Totenkopf is the lake. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that that means that's the skull and crossbones symbol of the Nazis. Anyway. Right. Um, but yeah, so it's it's zombie Nazis who are at the bottom of a lake, mm -hmm. and. Uh, the idea is they would come up and kill all the people there, and this would be a mass sacrifice that right. would allow um, both the Illuminatus, um, the Illuminati Primae, uh, to uh, ascend to the higher plane, but also uh, various people who were, you know, uh, right. part of their their group, which included an elderly Hitler who had apparently survived. Right, and then the, the Nazi army was going to march into Russia, and that was going to help uh, trigger World War uh, Two, World War Three. 
uh, which was, and there was, uh, it's actually not a huge part of the book, but there's a, uh, an island called Fernando Poo in the, uh, in, off the coast of Africa, which is, uh, which has become the source of international tensions for ridiculous reasons, basically just because of a huge misunderstanding. And then mm-hmm. at the same time, uh, there's a... Oh, Fernando uh, Poo is also the last outcropping of Atlantis. Right, it's all tied together, yes. And, uh, and there's also a, um, uh, a bacteriological agent called uh, anthrax leprosy pie, which has gotten loose from a base in Las Vegas. So all these things are supposed to come together and basically cause the end of the world. Uh, because everyone's going to die, but the Illuminati will then ascend, as we said, via uh, translation. Uh, but yes, the the big rock band is going to uh, is going to the the big rock uh, rock concert in Ingolstadt is going to trigger everything. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, oh, and there is one other thing I think we should oh. mention. H.P. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, H.P. Lovecraft is a character in this in this book. Uh, right. He's visited by um, uh, Robert Putney Drake in a flashback and. Uh, because uh, Lovecraft has written about a number of things that are apparently real, like right. the uh, like Cthulhu and the Necronomicon and all these things that are supposedly the, real in the yeah. in the fiction of this book. And but Lovecraft himself didn't believe in any of it, as he didn't in real life. Um, so mm-hmm. Drake was actually disappointed by this. So um, so the Necronomicon is real, as are um, uh, Cthulhu and all these other. Um, Creatures right. who in this book are called uh, Lo- Lyogor? Loigor. Loigor, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Um, which is uh, 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 comes from uh, an August Darleth story from uh, 1932, set in the Cthulhu mythos. Oh, okay. uh, Darleth was, of course, a um, uh, the most influential post-Lovecraft Lovecraft writer, uh, right. for better or worse. Yeah, he uh, was he actually, actually... coined the phrase uh, Cthulhu mythos. Yeah. And he, he well, he he he. W- he, was he organized editor, he it into it. a coherent thing, but he sort of uh, diluted it in the process. Right, that's right. There's There's been some controversy because in many ways there wasn't really a Cthulhu mythos yeah. until Darleth <laughs> put it all together. And, and yeah, he named it that, And uh, but he also did keep the thing alive for a long time. So right, yeah. We might well, not as... know about it today <clears throat> if it weren't for him. So Loigor was um, uh, the name of one specific old one, the great old ones, um, like Cthulhu and so forth, uh, who was an air elemental because Starlet split all the old ones into like elemental categories. It was kind of stupid, but okay. um, um, and uh, later uh, the word Loigor was used by Colin Wilson in uh, the Return of the Loigor uh, from okay. 1969, and I, I had read this one uh, before I read the Illuminatus trilogy, so I was sort of already familiar with the word. Um, okay. Um, here they're uh, invisible vortexes of psychic energy, um, who um, um, sort of they can uh, manifest and destroy things, but they have to sort of suck out life force from people. Okay. So uh, they cause like they destroyed they caused the Grand Canyon through a massive explosion, and they sunk Mu and all the all these other things. Right. Um, <laughs> so this is the first book that uh, that uses Low Igor as a um, um, uh, stand in for the phrase "great old one." So all mm. like Cthulhu in this book in uh, Illuminatus trilogy is Loigor, right. as is uh, Yog Sothoth. Sothoth. I always have trouble saying that one. Uh, but yeah. um, uh, I and this Yog Sothoth, but I don't know if that's okay. Yog Sothoth. <laughs> that's easier. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, other writers have since adopted this, including Alan Moore and Grant Morrison. 
Mm -hmm. uh, and apparently the word might come from uh, uh, Loeger, which is the medieval Welsh name for England. Huh. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, so Yog uh, Sothoth was um, uh, a cosmic entity created by H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, according to letters, uh, he was the grandfather of sorts, it's kind of complicated, of Cthulhu. So he's sort of, uh, he his spawn sort of reproduced into Cthulhu through parthenogenesis. Right, uh, right. Anyway, um, in this book, he's uh, the eater of souls as he feeds off the psychic vibration of energy produced by dying victims. Mm. Um, and so mass sacrifice feeds him, basically. Right. He was imprisoned beneath the Pentagon by the Illuminati. Yeah. And uh, in, in the, at the end of the story, uh, during the Ingolstadt thing, he's freed and sort of right. he's, the, he's the catalyst yeah, for some of the... An earthquake brings down the Pentagon, and they said they saw, uh, I who was it, the Secretary of Defense? Someone came running up to the Pentagon to try and draw a line to, to, to complete that, the, 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 uh, the wall of the Pentagon so that he wouldn't be let loose, but he failed. Oh, I'd and, forgotten about that. There's so much stuff in this book. <laughs> yeah, well, it was, he talks about how the ancient Atlanteans uh, first drew down and imprisoned uh, Yog Sotot, as they call him in the old version, um, mm -hmm. in a giant pentagon of black stone, uh, which was then destroyed when Atlantis was destroyed. So it took them a while to bring him. And he's kind of the spirit of chaos, He's not, he's sort of amoral, um, you know, unlike Lovecraft, where he'd be a horrific thing. I mean, he's Yeah, not... unknowable. He does have a personality, and he does talk in this book. Right. So he's, it, he, like I say, he kind of represents the destruction of, uh, you know, worldly authority and the, the unleashing of chaos, which is neither good nor bad inherently. It's hard to associate him automatically with you know, good because he's this big evil organism, but that's kind of what the book is building towards. So he's also kind of a good thing. He's also associated with Bugs Bunny, which is kind of hilarious. <laughs> you notice yep. that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's uh, as an agent of chaos. Right. <laughs> because he talks about how uh, Weishaupt saw uh, in the, some of the pictures in the Necronomicon that uh, the, the creatures looked like the Shoggoths looked like oh, a cartoon rabbit, basically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So it also mentions them in the Atlantis flashback part. So right. Fox Bunny. So yeah, that's and, a but the bunnies thing. are are a motif throughout the book. But it's evoking Bugs Bunny as the spirit of chaos and, and yeah, uh, it works. Irreverence to authority. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so I think we've outlined most of the oh, uh, the stuff oh, here. Um, oh, uh, we didn't uh, talk about the John Dillingers. Um. Well, oh yeah, okay. Well, there's the, uh, the yeah, there's the assassination of JFK and John Dillinger. Mm -hmm. So yeah, go ahead. Uh, so there's uh, Don John Dillinger was of course a bank robber in real life. Um, in this, he's uh, actually quintuplets, all named John Dillinger with different middle names. Okay. Um, uh, you don't remember this? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, sorry. Okay, yeah, sorry. Um, uh, and uh, uh, one of them shot JFK and. Uh, uh, yeah, so they they were they're sort of the leader of the uh, the Jams, which is the Justified Agents of Mumu, which are a uh, uh, left wing communist, uh, sort of like the Arisian Front, but more explicitly anti capitalist. Yeah, they they tie into the they're sort of the ancient answer to the original Illuminati and their Atlantean heritage, basically. Mm -hmm. Um. Uh. So yeah, they uh, and one of them uh, ends up killing some of the. Like the the uh, 
the Illuminati Primus, uh, the Medi American Medical Association, end up getting killed off one by one, and uh, one of the John Dillagers was responsible for that, right. for one of them anyway. Um, yeah, early so on, George Darn meets uh, John Dillinger, who's apparently survived his assassination by the feds, <laughs> but it's, you know, he's, uh, you know, he, yeah, it's he's, not revealed to the end that there were five of them. Right. Exactly. So yeah. his, his mysterious escape from the prison is because it was just another one of them. Right. Um, there's a lot of stuff in this book. Yes. <laughs> it's hard to keep track of everything. I, I remember when I read it the first time and I was like, I didn't, I couldn't tell the difference between George Dorn and Joe Malik and Simon Moon. Uh, and like, they were all mixed up in my head cause they're sort of similar characters. They fulfill different right. plot roles, but they're all, yeah. Right. So yeah, rereading it again for this was very helpful on that front. Like I figured it out by the end, but like knowing yeah. who they are from the beginning helps. Well, the book is actually written on these different quote time tracks. Uh, so you're sort of, yeah. you're following Joe Malik as he was originally inducted a few years earlier, just as you're following George Dorn as he's being inducted in what is quote the present unquote. Um, so that, yeah, those two can kind of blend together sometimes. They're both yeah. for confrontation. They're both reporters, all that kind of stuff. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it's, it's, so it uses a, again, deliberately uh, confusing yeah. Uh, Storytelling. It, it, it rewards free readings, I think. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so I think we've laid out most of the uh, important stuff of the mythos. Oh, uh, Fish and Chips? Yeah. I like that character. He's not really important, but I no. like his uh, James Bond parody. Yeah, he's um, quadruple four. Quadruple five. Is, uh, uh, so he's, uh, he's, a, he's, and they literally say that, yeah, he read too much James Bond and became James Bond <laughs> yeah. himself. Um, yeah, and it, I like his name, Fish and Chips. Fish and Chips, yeah. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> he's, he's. Because he was born on the, the day of the, um, the Hiroshima or something like that. I can't remember. Yeah. And he's investigating Fernando Pooh. He believes it's. You know, he has a secret. He, of course, has his specter-like secret society called Bugger, uh, which he right. believes is behind everything. Um, yeah. One of the recurring sort of motifs in this book is that when you've got a bunch of people, you know, you've got an authority figure who is investigating for the authorities, they either go nowhere or they get basically flipped over into the Arisians. Yeah. <laughs> like so. Oh, Goodman. and. Uh... And lastly, in terms of major characters, well, um, there's a lot, but uh, there's also the Dili Lama, right. uh, who uh, is a holy man who lives below the Dili Plaza, which is where JFK was shot. Right. And yes. um, and he's the he's the uh, he he he's based on the principle of uh, basically doing nothing. Um, <laughs> yeah. Whereas the other uh, the the ALF and people want to go out and yeah. And, uh, Should actually... we give away the uh, the twist? Um. You know what? Let's do that in the next one because I okay. think let's wrap up this show right now. Uh, okay. We're going to continue into uh, part two. Or this is going to be a two-part episode. In the next episode, we'll uh, talk more about Hagbard Celine and we'll reveal the secret of the Illuminati. So for now, we've been Philip Rice and Adam Prosser, um, Illuminati preemie of the Order of the Unbroken Circle. Definitely not the ones who stole your socks. The theme song was by Jack Birick, who will be touring Ingolstadt in the spring. And special thanks to Alex Ross, who can hear us via the radio transmissions in your fillings. Uh, this show will be continued next week from an undisclosed location. You'll get the instructions on how to tune in in a seemingly unused dropbox on the corner of St. Elm in Maine. The password is Swordfish. Do not wear purple.